All right. So come as you are. Come as you are. It's this idea of giving grace and acceptance to everyone around us. And we do this because that's what Jesus did. We see that demonstrated in his life. In the three and a half years of his ministry, he would share stories and he would show examples of grace, unmerited favor, love for those all around. In fact, he tells a parable. He tells a story of a king who threw a big party for his son's wedding. And in that story, the king invited all his friends and family, but they were too busy and unresponsive. So the king said to his servants in Matthew 22, now go out to the street corners and invite everyone you see. So the servants brought in everyone they could find, good and bad alike, and the banquet hall was filled with guests. See, our job is not to determine who's worthy of God's love. We're encouraged, even challenged, to invite everyone to meet, to consider who God is and to experience his love, a goodwill offered to all mankind. Now we have to be honest. When we say come as you are, there are a couple of conditions, right? Come as you are unless you have the flu. There's something going around right now and you do not have to come if you have it, all right? Just wait, you can watch online if you want. Uh, we're not a no shirt, no shoes, no service kind of place but we do want you to wear clothes, right? Maybe we should say, come as you are after you get dressed, right? That's probably more accurate. But what we mean by this is you can come no matter what your doubts might be, no matter how skeptical you might be, no matter what your experiences or struggles might be. And it's because of the Christmas story that we even do this. You see, the Christmas story is God's love shown to all of humanity. Luke 2, on that first Christmas night, tells us the story. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a savior who is Christ the Lord. See, the Christmas story is God's intervention into humanity for all people. He was born in Bethlehem in Israel, which is the most strategic place on the planet with trade routes into Africa and Asia and Europe. He was born in a time in history where the Roman Pax Romana allowed travel into all parts of the world like never before. It was in that time that wise men came from India or Persia all the way to find this king of kings that had been born. And during this month, we're, we're looking at the Christmas story in the context of refugees. We live in a moment in history with the greatest refugee crisis we've ever faced. 65 million have been displaced from their homes. 30 million of those are children. More children have been displaced from their home because of persecution or war or violence than the entire population of the state of Texas. And the reason we've chosen this issue is because the story of Christmas is actually a, a story of refugees. It begins, begins with Jesus who left 
his home in heaven to come to rescue us. See, a refugee is one who's been displaced because of the evil, and Jesus came because of the evil around us. And his story continues when after he was born, a a jealous king, Herod, wanted to make sure that this king of kings would not survive to replace him. And so he sent troops into Bethlehem to kill all children under the age of two. This slaughter of the innocents. And his parents, Jesus' parents, fled to Egypt. Jesus himself as a baby was a refugee. But the story continues when we realize that we have been displaced. We are all spiritual refugees. See, we were created for a relationship with God, and yet in his freedom, God allows us to choose whether or not we want to be adopted into his family. And each of us has gone our own way. Each of us has the opportunity to come back to where we really belong. When we run away from God, When we turn away from God, we're like prodigal sons and daughters, but Jesus came to rescue us. See, Jesus does for us what we could never do for ourselves. And Peter was an eyewitness of Jesus's life, his teaching, his miracles, even his death and resurrection. And Peter describes it like this. He said, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. See, God entered our time and space to rescue us from evil and bring all willing people to himself, creating a spiritual home for refugees. See, but what happens throughout history, when when someone discovers that God has chosen them and has pursued them, then it's hard not to start to look down on everyone else, when in reality, God chooses one so that through that one, others would experience God's blessing but it's human nature to hoard that blessing, to hold on to that blessing. And so what happens is we see that sometimes the church has become a members only country club. Let's call it Club Jesus. Where unfortunately the language, it's almost like you have to have, you have to know the password to come in and to understand and you have to know the music and you have to know the rituals. And, And oftentimes, and maybe for some of you, you walked away from God because of the church in which you grew up. It just didn't make sense. They would do things that didn't make sense. And you'd hear words and phrases like saved or sanctified or justified or propitiated or constipated. That last one is not a spiritual word. But spiritual constipation is when you receive God's love and it does not flow through you. (laughs) But what happens is Club Jesus has actually done more damage because that's not the message of Jesus. His love is not to just be held onto, but to bubble over our lives and into the lives of those around us. And so at Gateway, we try to define our terms, to explain the truths of the scriptures in a way that everyone can understand no matter where they might be on this journey. See, Christmas story is a story of good news for all people. And the church is to be a a safe place, a, a harbor for those being beaten up by the storm. Now, I've shared before, my parents have retired at my grandparents' old house. That's right along Lake LBJ. It's this old house, but it, it's on the lake. And we're so grateful for this chance to go out there. But I have to be honest, I'm not much of an outdoorsman. 
All right, my parents have kayaks. I don't really care for that. Too much work. They have a ski boat, kind of old, and, and my dad's always so nervous we're going to drive it into the concrete dock, so it's just not worth all the aggravation to use the ski boat. And, and they also have had a sailboat, but I'm just too lazy to figure out all the jibs and the eastern seaboard or whatever those words are. And so my preferred boat of choice is the paddle boat. That's my favorite. And, and so there's a sandbar, not too far, maybe 300 yards from where my parents' house is. And so this summer, Trevi and I, my daughter, she's 14 years old, we get into the paddle boat on our way to the sandbar. Now, as we're headed out that way, I hadn't really noticed how windy it was. And every time we'd hit a wave, the, the, the boat started to fill with water. And, you know, I just kept paddling and kept paddling. And I started to talk to my daughter, like thinking this might be a great moment to teach her perseverance, like not giving up. And so as we kept going further and further, more and more water was coming in. And so I did what I thought was a good idea. I said, Trevi, you stay and paddle and I'll push. And I jumped out of the paddle boat and I began to push. Now, I know you think I'm probably a pretty strong guy, <laughs> but pushing a paddle boat in big waves is much more difficult than I thought. In fact, I looked up and realized we're drifting further from the sandbar. And I could almost feel my dad looking and watching and wondering, why is he in that paddle boat? But I didn't want my dad to come help us. I wanted to make it to the sandbar. And so I convinced Trevi that maybe if I was pulling and she was pushing, we would make it. So at this point, neither of us are in the paddle boat. And me pushing and her pulling was not doing any better. And then I looked back and I saw my dad get up and walk towards the ski boat. I don't want him to pick me up the shame and humiliation. I don't want that. I don't want that speech about, I told you you could learn how to sail. I don't want to hear that speech right now. I just want to make it to the sandbar. But it's filling with water. This paddle boat is heavier than ever. And after looking at my dad, I look back and realize we're even further off course. And at that point, I have this fear go through me. I'm going to end up on the nightly news. <laughs> Tragically, a pastor dies in a paddle boat accident. He thought he could make it to the sandbar. He was too lazy to learn the sailboat. I could just hear it. And I looked back again. At that point, my dad was backing that ski boat out. And I was so grateful. And the lesson switched from a lesson in perseverance to a lesson in maturity. You see, it's mature to know when to ask for help. See, sometimes we try to get it done on our own power and our own strength. We just try to muscle through. But the waves are coming and hitting us and, and we're drowning in our struggles. And I have to tell you, I had never been so grateful to see my dad in that boat. And he dragged us in. And once we got closer to the shore, it was like a safe harbor. The, the wind was still going and the waves were still going, but we were safe. See, a safe harbor is a place where you can assess the damage, when you can fix things up. But see, some of us have gotten trapped and we've stayed in the safe harbor. We, we think we still have more to be done. And surely there are always areas we can grow in and we can find healing in. But see, some of us have, have actually bought into this lie that, that if we just do enough good, we can offset the bad. But by trying to be good enough, that means we're saying, in essence, I don't need a savior. We cannot be rescued until we realize we need to be rescued. 
Maturity is knowing when to ask for help. In your life, there may be things happening and you've just been taught to just muscle through, to just keep going. And in reality, now is the time to just ask for help. And the scriptures tell us in Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. See, some of us, you finally got to that point and you decided, I need help, and you turned to family or friends or even to a church or to neighbors or maybe you went to the bar. And what you found did not satisfy, did not help. Ultimately, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Just because others have made bad choices and have not represented God does not mean we should give up on God. See, God is out to rescue you and rescue me. That's the story of Christmas. He came for us. And what's so remarkable is that God is pursuing all of humanity. I have this amazing story. As you know, we're, we've been having these little virtual reality experiences out in the lobby these last couple weeks. It was a, a film called Clouds Over Sidra. Sidra is this young girl who is living in a refugee camp in Jordan. She's originally from Syria. And it's this 3D virtual reality experience. It's really fun. And, and in fact, we'll put it up on our Gateway South Facebook group page so you can experience it at home on your own. It's fantastic. Well, up at the North Campus, Shala, that's Rob's uh, wife, had greeted this Syrian family that had come, that had been invited because of this series and we've been serving them and loving on them. And, and they came to the service and, and they were kind of blown away. It was not quite like what they normally experience in the mosque when they go. And, and they come out of the experience and the 10-year-old boy saw all these people with the virtual reality glasses. Now, if you didn't get to see the virtual reality glasses, it's also fun just to watch people using virtual reality glasses, completely unaware of where, what they're doing. And, and he sees that and he asks Shala, can I, can I see what they're seeing? Well, this little boy had lived in a refugee camp and she said, well, are you sure? She's thinking maybe this would bring up too many bad memories. Like maybe this isn't a good ex idea for him. But he insisted, and so she gets him one of the goggles and, and glasses, and he begins to watch. And he watches the entire five minutes. Now, to get a 10-year-old to do anything for five minutes is remarkable. And as soon as it's over, he puts down the glasses, and he looks at Shawl, and she, he says, how can I get this video? And she begins to think of, you know, find, find someone that might know the link. And then he, 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 she's kind of surprised he liked it so much and looked at him and, and said, well, you know, what did you like so much about it? And he looked at her and he said, Sidra's my cousin. That little girl in the video, that's my cousin. We didn't know if she was okay. We didn't know where she was. That's my cousin. Now I want you to consider for a moment. Of all the issues facing humanity, we felt like God was leading us to focus on the refugee crisis. And there were lots of different videos we could have chosen, but we decided to choose the one about this little girl named Sidra. And of all the families from Syria, and they're not that many, but of all the families from Syria that we've met, this one came. What are the odds that a 10-year-old boy from Syria would watch at Gateway Church in North Austin a video confirming that his cousin's still alive? What are the odds? See, what's happening is God is showing this little boy that he loves him. God is showing Sidra that he loves her. God is pursuing not only 
This little boy's cousin, he's pursuing your cousin. He's pursuing you. See, but the problem is sometimes we don't have the right glasses on. We have glasses of doubt and skepticism, and it's okay to come with those, but, but open your heart and mind and just get to the place where you say, okay, God, if you are real, would you help me see that? Because until we acknowledge we need his help, there's even a prayer in the scriptures. I mentioned it last week. God, help me with my unbelief. When we have open eyes and open hearts and say, God, if you're real, show me or help me to see what I'm missing. Sometimes we get so bogged down in our own life that we miss what God is doing all around us. A little boy saw his cousin at Gateway Church in North Austin. God is pursuing you. God is pursuing me. But he doesn't want just us to experience grace, but to extend that grace to others. See, Jesus brought good news to a world of spiritual refugees, to doubters and skeptics and tax collectors, prostitutes, and even the hardest to reach, the religious. And that message permeates our hearts when we say yes, and it brings transformation. But for us to be a safe place, then we must be safe people. It's beautiful to be a part of a community like this. But how much more powerful it would be if each of us was not just a part of a come-as-you-are community, but we were come-as-you-are people, inviting people, no matter where they might be, into our lives, out to lunch, into our home. Jesus challenges us in Matthew chapter five. He says this, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before people that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Jesus has a risky plan for bringing healing and light to this world. It's risky, risky because it involves us. I mean, if you think about it, why didn't Jesus come now? Like after Al Gore invented the internet, it seems like now would be the right time for Jesus to come because the entire planet could see it. I mean, could you imagine a reality TV show where we watch the Virgin Mary riding a donkey, right, to Bethlehem? And then as Jesus grew up, could you imagine how many Twitter followers he would have? It would just be amazing if, if Jesus was alive right now, he could have an infomercial and we could all watch it late at night when we can't go to sleep. But instead, he was not born in the midst of mass media. His plan required something far riskier. It required people. It required people who would say, yes, I need to be rescued. I need to be forgiven. I need you. And in being rescued, they not only experience God's love and light, they become messengers of his love and light. There's this moment where Jesus said that greater things will happen with you than it did with me. And that sounds like a crazy thought. I mean, Jesus would heal people. People who could not walk could stand up and walk. People who could not see could suddenly see. People who had been dead were alive. How could we see anything greater than that? Well, I have some sad news. Everyone who was able to see after being blind eventually died. Everyone who actually 
could not walk and then could walk eventually died. Even Lazarus, who was dead, then alive because of Jesus' miraculous powers. Guess what happened a few years later? He died. That's a pretty amazing miracle, but it didn't last very long. But see, what Jesus says that you and I can be a part of is actually extending eternal life, a spiritual healing that begins now and lasts for all eternity. See, the greatest miracle is not a physical healing, it's a spiritual healing because that lasts forever. See, the greatest miracle is a transformed life. It's taking a stubborn, hard-hearted, angry and broken person and bringing so much love that it melts away the jagged edges and so transforms that person that they suddenly are proof that there is a God. See, that's what Jesus invites us into, a transformed life that brings transformation to other people. See, we live in a world where people have turned away from God and it's not because they've searched after him and read the scriptures and prayed with an open heart and mind. It's because people who said they followed Jesus didn't actually live out what they said they believed. It's because too often people who were part of Club Jesus were acting hypocritically and judgmentally. John Burke tells a story. He was walking along the beach in California and at the time he was working with a, a ministry to college students. So he's already following Jesus and he, he's actively trying to serve these kids and this man starts yelling. And apparently this guy loved to do this and he started yelling at John. He says to him, you're going to hell. You are an idolater. And John looked around like, is he talk, talking to me? Like, and realized this guy's yelling at him and, and he could have ignored him, but he felt like this guy's doing damage in the name of Jesus. This isn't Jesus's message. So he walks over to the man and he said, excuse me, sir, but I actually follow Jesus. I actually, I actually do believe. And the man said, you're going to hell. I can tell you're an idolater because you're wearing a Britannia shirt with a British flag. Apparently he didn't like that brand. <laughs> See, there are some people that in the name of Jesus have done a lot of damage. But they don't represent Jesus' heart, Jesus' actual life. And if you're here and you've been hurt by someone who calls themselves a believer, I wanna just encourage you, don't let the mistakes of others keep you from the God who loves you. Don't allow someone else's hypocrisy to keep you from experiencing a life infused with love and hope and joy. And for those of us who follow after Jesus, we have the great privilege of allowing him to change us. It might seem like the impossible, but with God, all things are possible. He's inviting us to allow him to work in us and through us, to be a safe harbor and experience his love, but to go out to rescue others that need his love. So you and I, we're invited to be part of changing the world. Maybe you've seen it out on our mural. I love this mural, it's over there. All right, it has our values. It's our, it's our path towards what God has called us to do. And I, I love this, this place. Like when you come to Gateway South, when the weather's just right, we have the garage door open and that big moving door is open. Now, since we've moved here in March, I think we've had that garage door open maybe like four times. <laughs> it's either too hot or too cold, right? 
But I love this, this symbol of an open wide door to the city that's welcome to come no matter where they might be. Come as you are. And you know what? You can be here for weeks, months, even years, just part of the crowd. But when you're ready, that next value that you see on that mural is to live connected, to just let a few other people know who you are and get to know a few other people. The easiest way to do that is just stay an extra hour on a Sunday or come an extra hour early, right? Just serve others with others. And when the time is right, no rush, no pressure, that next step might be to be transformed, to jump into a life group, to discover more about what the scriptures say and how to live it out, and then to become someone who's changing your world. And you may be thinking, I have to have it all together first. I, I can't be a part of changing the world. I'm having trouble changing myself. Remember, the change comes from what God wants to do in you. And you are far more ready than what you feel you might be ready for. But what happens is when we just simply respond to what God wants us to do next, we'll be amazed at what happens. Maybe for you, your next step is something as simple as just inviting coworkers or neighbors to join us on Christmas Eve. This Friday night at seven and twice on Saturday, you would be amazed at how open your family members, friends, neighbors, coworkers would be to something like this. In fact, we have flyers here at the front or at the connect spot. If you wanna just grab some and invite folks. And on the other side is our series in the new year. Sometimes in the new year, people are like, you know what? I've tried everything else. Maybe I'll try God. But you will be surprised. Some people are just one invitation away of a completely new life. Don't say no on behalf of anyone. Just respond to what God has put in your heart to do what's next. I've shared this story before, but it's just, it was such an important moment in my life of realizing the difference that we can make, even when we're in over our head. My wife, Deborah, and I, we grew up in Texas, but right after we got married, two months after we got married, we moved to Seattle to help plant a church. And I was going to, you know, be over the youth group and start a college group. Well, there were six other adults and me. So my, me, my wife, and five others, there's seven adults, and we're preparing and planning. We're passing out flyers for our first ever youth event. It was called Youth Explosion 94. <laughs> that was the year, in case you're wondering. And we were so excited about it. And the night came and after all this time and effort, not one teenager showed up, not one. Do you know how embarrassing it is to be a youth pastor with no youth? <laughs> and so in that moment of embarrassment, I just started coming up with excuses. Maybe they forgot it was tonight. And then I thought, maybe some of these kids need a ride. So I asked one of the others to get in his car and start driving around and look for teenagers. And I got in my car to look for teenagers too. Any teenager I could find. So I drove down the hill and I see this one kid playing basketball. I thought, perfect, he's all by himself. <laughs> and so I jump out of the car and I, and I say to him, hey, did you hear about Youth Explosion 94? Thinking he would say, no, but you, you asked me with such excitement, please tell me more. That's not what he did. He looked at me and said, no. And I said, it's happening right now, you should come. And he looked over at his bicycle. So I read his mind, oh, don't worry, you don't have to ride your bicycle up the hill. So I went over and picked up his bicycle and put it in the trunk of my car. And I said, come on, get in. And he did. And so we started driving up the hill and I introduced myself. I said, my name is Eric, what's your name? And he said, Saeed Abdu. Now on the West Coast, people name their children unusual names. When my wife and I, you know, were part of Lamaze class, we 
had a child, our son Caleb, and we didn't know anyone named Caleb, and so I wanted to name him Caleb Michael. It means courageous messenger. But my wife insisted we include her maiden name, Ellis. And so his name is Caleb Michael Ellis Bryant. Sounds like a law firm. It actually means courageous messenger in a field. It's not exactly what I was going for. But another family from our Lamaze class, they had a little girl. They named her Fiona Maeve Zerwinski. This was long before Shrek. This was quite unusual. And then there's a little boy. True story. His name is Planet Moses Boniface Canalis. They call him Moses. I call him Pimo. That's just my thing. So these are unusual West Coast names, but nothing quite like Saeed Abdu. I'd never heard that name before. And as I got to talk to him a little bit more, I recognized that he had an accent. And then he explained he was from a, a country called Eritrea, which is next to Ethiopia. And that he fled because of a civil war. And that's when he told me that he was Muslim. And I remember thinking, of all the kids I could have picked up <laughs> for Youth Explosion 94, I picked up Saeed. Well, we came around the corner and there was the church and I see another teenager is there along with her dad. Youth Explosion 94 was on. And something remarkable happened. The next four years, Saeed came to the youth group on Wednesday nights, every week, even as he would go to the mosque on Fridays. And one time I remember kind of preparing for this debate between me and him, like my God can beat up your God kind of moment. And as I began to, to talk with him, and I asked him, I, my first question was, well, tell me, why do you go to the mosque? And he said, my parents make me. I said, oh, that sounds very similar to a lot of the kids in the youth group. <laughs> like, we have more in common than I thought. And I discovered that I actually knew more about Islam than he did. And along the way, there were moments where I was able to explain to him that, that you can know God personally. See, his philosophy was one that, well, you never know. Inshallah, if God wills it, then it happens. There's no way of knowing if God is pleased with you or not. And although he never stepped across that line of faith, as long as I knew him in those four years, several of his friends did. You see, he invited more people to our youth group than anyone else. So the end of those four years together, he was graduating from high school. We were about to move to Los Angeles and I, I just had to talk to Saeed. I, I just, I had to get to the bottom of this. And I said to him, I said, Saeed, I just have to ask you something. Why have you kept coming all these four years? And I'll never forget what he said. He said, you were my first friend. I thought, what are you talking about? You know, and it was this, as if he was saying, look, people don't usually hang out with people who look differently than them. People don't usually hang out with people who are poor. People don't usually hang out with people who have different beliefs. People don't usually hang out with people who come from far away. And I said, well, Saeed, why did you, why did you bring so many of your friends? And he said, well, none of them knew any, had any American friends, but I knew that the youth group would be the one place where they would feel welcomed. So then I just had to ask him. I said, Saeed, why did you even come that first night? He says to me with a big smile, I thought you were kidnapping me. <laughs> I didn't know English very well. You put my bicycle in the trunk of your car. I thought this crazy white guy's gonna kill me. Now, to grow our youth group, I do not recommend we kidnap Muslim teenagers. But to make the world a better place, and to become the type of people God's calling us to be, I do recommend befriending a Muslim. Befriending someone who looks differently, who believes differently, who may make different choices 
to begin to love people who are not like us. This series, the Refugee Series, invites us to love people who are overlooked, who are oppressed, who the world has given up on. If we can learn to love those among us that are hardest to love, then all of a sudden we can love everybody in between. See, and I, I had a great deal of guilt and shame when Saeed called me his first friend. See, if I had known who Saeed was, I probably wouldn't have asked him to come. I would have assumed he didn't want to come. I would have said no for him. But I was so desperate for a teenager, any teenager, I didn't stop to ask. See, maybe part of our problem is we're not desperate enough. We're saying no too often on behalf of those around us. What if we allowed the Christmas story to become real in our life so transformative that it sends us out, his love sends us out to love the people all around us. See, this series, we've really wanted to move past the nostalgia of the Christmas story to the essence of the Christmas story, a real story about a real world in need of a savior. And his name is Jesus. And each of us can experience his love and transformation, not because of anything we've done or anything we deserve, but out of his love. He says to you and me, come as you are. I love you. And then he sends us out to do the same. And now for some of us, this series, some of you I know, have, it's already kicked up some, some desires. You've discovered your next step is you wanna be a part of one of our teams that goes overseas. Some of you have even said, how do I jump in and help locally with some of the refugees here in Austin? And you know, some of you, it may not be going to the Middle East. It may not be going up to North Lamar. It may be your next step is just to serve the 200 kids we serve every single Sunday, helping them experience the love of God. And for just a moment, if I could, if you're a guest, I'm just so glad that you're here. And, and as I talk about our goal about giving, I want you just to, to hear it as kind of a chance to look in on kind of a family conversation. I don't want you to feel any obligation to be a part of this, but I want you to know you're sitting among some incredibly generous people. Just this past week, we sent a team, Rob was a part of it, up to Gateway Branson, where you, many of you, bought gifts for families in need. And I have some pictures to show you. They had a big party on Tuesday night. Just look at their faces. So excited for these gifts. This next one's my favorite. Look at this little girl right there. You helped her have a better Christmas through your generosity. And then last night, my family, the four of us, went up to North Lamar. We found this family, Mohammed and his wife and four kids, and we gave them a, a Christmas gift from you. See, what a gift to be a part of a church that together we're able to give so generously. And so here's what we're doing this month. Every Christmas season, we like to choose an initiative and a project so that we can give above and beyond what we normally give. The idea is that just keep giving what you normally give, but pray about the prospect of, of giving above that. Last year, we gave 37,000 more in the month of December than our regular responsibilities, our bills. The year before, we gave 56,000 more. And so we were able to do some amazing things. This year, our goal is 90,000. We wanna be able to help 600 refugee kids, three times the number we take care of every Sunday. 400 of them here locally, 200 overseas. 
And I wanna invite you, if this is your church home, to just pray about what you might wanna do above what you already give. Some of you have had incredible years. Maybe God has blessed you financially so that you can be more generous than you've ever been before. Here's what's really fun about this whole experience. None of us knows what God is whispering to any of us. All of us just on our own just need to ask God, God, show me, show us as a family what you'd have us do. And over the next several days, we'll be amazed at what happens through us and the stories that come from our willingness to respond. I want us in this moment to receive our offering. Our offering is a chance for those of us who, this is our church home, respond out of gratitude. So you're gonna see our offering team's gonna stand up. The lights will come up just a little bit. Again, if you're a guest, feel no obligation to give. We just are so glad that you're here. In fact, we have a gift for you. Just take that connect spot, connect card to the connect spot. But for those of us, this is our church home. Giving out of gratitude for what God has given us is an act of worship. And in fact, if you wanna give online like many of us do, just send the word gateway, text it to 77977. Just choose Gateway Church South Campus Offerings and everything that comes in above our normal responsibilities will go towards these initiatives. While we give together, let's watch the recap of this series. 